Hello and welcome to our fifth in the World Sustainability Collective's Purpose Planet podcast series. Our website is at worldsustainabilitycollective.com and you can also find us at on Twitter. Our handle is at WSC, all capitals, lower dash, worldwide, all in lowercase. Also on Facebook at World Sustainability Collective, all lowercase. And finally on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash world dash sustainability dash collective forward slash. Today, we have one of our founding members, Janine Barron, along to talk with us. Janine is the founder of our own unique regenerative business mentoring business. And you can find all her details on this particular website link. So link, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash Janine Barron, all one word lowercase, J-A-N-N-I-N-E-B-A-R-R-O-N. Janine is also on a number of social media platforms, but you can find all of those through that link that I've just mentioned. Gosh, that took a long time, Janine. Welcome. <laughs> Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. Uh, my pleasure entirely. So, Janine, um, on your uh, website, which is uh, janinebaron.com, um, you have a quote that says, to have the greatest impact on the world in your purpose-led business, you will need a unique mix of support, advice, business acumen, and strategy planning, all framed by new paradigm thinking. This paradigm fuses intuition with business strategy to support your unconventional path. Now, there are several very interesting words in that statement as far as I'm concerned, things like purpose-led, new paradigm thinking, intuition, unconventional path. But let's start by reminding uh, everybody about what you mean by a purpose-led business. Okay, thank you. Well, purpose-led for me is a way of connecting with people who have an investment with time or action or money that's environmentally or ethically based. Um, this can be a brand or a service, but by using the term, it's indicative that there's a lot more going underneath the service than might meet the eye. Um, and I've been trying to rack my brain about when this term first arose in the world. And I'm just thinking around that time, 2015, when there was a lot of corporate reports coming out around sustainability being more profitable, how they were finding that consumers were willing to spend more money. And you had people like Paul Polman talking about you know, business being stupid if they don't leave on purpose-driven products. So I'm guessing it was sometime before then that the term came out, but that's when it started getting popularity. Uh, unfortunately, that also led to some greenwashing. <laughs> but purpose is basically a company's fundamental reason for being that tends to be ethically or environmentally based. Yes, it's interesting because um, if you go back in time, then companies had visions and missions and the interesting thing, uh, depending on your definition of those two uh, categories or words, um, a vision was sort of 
looking longer term, it was semi unattainable, um, and a mission was was much more what was your core purpose. And it seems to me that purpose led um, has definitely taken on this connotation around sustainability. I agree, um, but it's it's become a little bit crisper, and it said. You know, well, why are you doing this? Is there a higher level of aspiration in this company than just making money? Um, which I think is a good thing. Do you? Yeah, no, exactly. Because before you might have had a vision statement saying, you know, we want to be the best in the world at this. And, you know, that was considered a vision. But when you bring purpose into it, it's like you say, like there's it becomes a values-based statement and a values-based business. So... It absolutely has something beneath the surface. Mm. And your clients who are purpose-led businesses, do you feel that when you start to work with companies like this, that the values do permeate into the business? Is, is it identifiable? Is it obvious? Yeah, well, it's interesting. It depends on the size of the business. So often with sole traders, you know, you can be values-led, but then you can get caught up in the machinations and expenses of the day-to-day -day running a business. So often it's just being reminded of that purpose, coming back to that, because the vision is what keeps us going through mm. difficult times. Um, so that's the that's the purpose of a purpose, <laughs> if you like. Okay. Yes. Interesting. So um, thank you, Janine. So Moving on to the other words that are in your uh, your platform's uh, opening page, you talk about this new paradigm um, and you talk about an unconventional path and you talk about intuition. How, how are those three aspects linked in your mind when you talk to your clients? It's partly biographical for me because that has been my journey in business. And, I, and only looking back can I see, did I have an unconventional path? and that it was led by sustainability and purpose. But I was doing that before it had a name. So there was something very integral to my being and my way of seeing the world that made sense to me, but I always felt like an outsider. Mm -hmm. And so I bring that to what I do. And by using these words, it gives permission for people to tap into parts of themselves to say, look, you can be successful in business as I was by being this way, and it seems to tap into a sort of innate need, a values-based need that people have to be. So new paradigm thinking comes from, you know, I was sort of reading Buckminster Fuller's work from in the early 90s. And, you know, he talks about not being able to change things with an existing system, that you have to build a new model. And in that way, by thinking differently and creating new business models, the old way will just become obsolete. So rather than sort of being revolutionary and trying to change something, it's saying, look, let's just start something afresh. So it's permission, new paradigm thinking is about permission to go, I've got this really crazy idea. I don't know if it'll work. <laughs> and someone like me will go, yes, that will work. You know, what do we need to do? And then there's the intuition, which is that, um, you know, we, we have to talk a little bit about um the enlightenment at some point because you know we've been for 400 years we've been living in this paradigm of data science based paradigm which is that big shift in in terms of the UK it was post civil war it was the clash between religion and government governments were being created institutions were being created this was the first time the world began operating this way but it was very mechanistic and linear and so this has been our way of thinking and doing business for 400 years 
But right now, because we have this complete existential crisis in terms of our faith in business and government and climate crisis and mental health pandemic and and seeing this all connected to the destruction of nature, we're now sort of on an intuitive level going back to work like Einstein and instead of reading his incredible scientific studies, which is what we were taught in school, he's actually saying the intuitive mind is a sacred gift. And he's saying the rational mind should be its servant, but, you know, that this society honours the servant and forgotten the gift. So we're now rediscovering how we got to where we are. And this is part of the new paradigm is like looking back at history saying, oh, that's how we got here. That's why I believe what I do. You know, <laughs> that's what happened. So what if I believed and thought differently? What new model could happen, such as in practical terms, donut economics, circular economy, degrowth, green growth, all the sort of terms out there. And that leads to farming, agroforestry, permaculture. There's lots of amazing models that have been considered outsiders. What we're doing now is trying to bring them into like maybe being the primary way of thinking about business and agriculture and ecosystems. And what does that do to our, our, our thinking and our outcomes, which makes us more connected to nature? So intuition is like the bridge where it's like, gosh, is that okay? And then someone giving you permission. So, um, yeah, does that sort of demonstrate the interconnection between these these words? Very well, thank you, Jeanine. And what's interesting to me as a scientist is, because um, my background is chemistry, is if you go back to basic research in science, intuition is a very, very key part of discovery in the research function. So you you observe and you have some intuitive thought that develops a hypothesis. Then you do practical experiments and you either prove your hypothesis or you debunk it. And if you debunk it, you start again. So I think that for one reason or another, science has has that still happens. But the general public have not seen science as that. They've seen science as something that gives them expert opinion about something. And of course, that's that's never true because scientists always are looking for something that they don't know. They want to discover something new. So Absolutely. I, and so you've got this intuition. Yeah, you've got this term scientific fact, and that has been spread throughout institutions of government and education and all our institutions. So the public, any non-scientist, has come to associate science with absolute facts you know objective truth but scientists know that they make it what they do is they just make a load of mistakes to try and get to the truth and so they make mistakes for a living I like to joke and they use that intuition to as you say to go and then they call it a hypothesis which allows it, the intuition permission for intuition to have a framework and we don't haven't been doing that in business we haven't been doing that in education we've been saying this is the way it is and we're in an era where you're like you know what what if it wasn't like that? <laughs> Absolutely. And and um, if you look at the issues that we're facing as a global population, and uh, as of yesterday, the UN tells us there's 8 billion of us, um, then we are having problems living in our, uh, in our planet um, because we have not understood that it has limits and we must respect those limits. And therefore, to continue to adopt the same business models is crazy. I mean, we should be 
adapting new business models all the time at the moment so that we solve environmental and social problems because we've got enough of them um, and do that economically, but not do it economically and create those problems as we've been doing partly, uh, but pretty successfully in the past. Well, that's important. But what's also um, key about what you've just said is humans naturally, we do seem to require frameworks or systems to help us understand things. It, it does. It really does help us. So we've got to go back to go, well, how did we get to that thinking? And that's when we go back and say, oh, well, Francis Bacon actually said we should dominate nature. And so, and that was connected to the patriarchal view of society with gender imbalance at the time as well. And so this slowly um, increased our disconnection from nature. Now that you have a disconnection from nature, who used to be seen as Mother Earth, the feminine, so you've got a you've got a gender imbalance in society. Um, and we all know that out, you know, what how that played out. And but you also have this kind of component thinking where nature is an an additional aspect of us so business for years has been able to just pollute the waters or they're still doing it down in Cornwall you know pollute the waters and chop down trees and and they've been considered free resources because there's plenty of it and you know but what's slowly been happening which is the evidence tells us now is like oh as nature gets has more destruction so do we as humans because we are interconnected so I think the mental health pandemic is um which is just out of control, everyone knows someone in crisis. Um, that comes from our destruction of nature. So now we sort of look back and we see, oh, Bacon said this, then Descartes said this, and then Newton said this, and this became fact in institutions. So we once we understand that's how we got here, now we can create a new system to think about how to get somewhere else. So in terms of sustainability, Janine, do you see sustainability primarily linked to nature or do you see it perhaps in the wider context as per the UN's 17 sustainability development goals? Look, sustainability was one of these frameworks we've just been talking about that came along that gave us a focus and it became about avoiding the depletion of nature's resources. That fundamentally, there's various definitions that sit around that. And it's been the dominant thinking around environment and culture for, gosh, almost 20 years now. Um, and it was a movement that started in the sort of 80s, early 90s. The Sustainable Development Goals, for good reason, you know, gave us even sharper focus as we, we separated each component. Now, on one hand, that was helpful. So we could just look at poverty or we could just look at um, education, but Again, we used this mechanistic approach of separating ideas and components, and that sort of was rather than seeing the interconnectedness of issues, which is why I like the inner development goals and, and I'm more on the regenerative side of things because regeneration shows us how the sustainable development goals are connected rather than just picking one or two that you're good at. Um, regeneration is about restoring ecological balance, whereas sustainability was about avoiding the depletion. That's the simplest um, difference in the definitions um, and regeneration is about you know creating the right conditions for things to mm. unfold and and trusting that intuitive wisdom whereas sustainability is systematic so in some ways the SDGs are a part of that systematic way of thinking and they're helpful as a guideline and I'm very passionate about them but I also like to point out that 
the component thinking that we still got there, a very mechanistic way of thinking as if things are separate. I don't know if I answered your question correctly, but you, you got me on a train of thought then. <laughs> isn't a correct answer, is it? That's that's the beauty or the the, the pitfall that we're facing as a as humankind. Um, it's interesting because um, you touch on what I think is one of the key issues that we face at the moment, and that is that there is there has developed an arrogance in in the human race that we are supreme and that we know and we can control and dominate and do all those things that we've seen in our history that we do. However, I think that the complexity of the natural world, I think the complexity of the the wider uh, universe and the the science of that environment um, holds a complexity that the human brain can understand, as you say, by compartmentalizing it and investigating it. But the interconnectivity of it, I think, is beyond human ken, to use a Scots word. And uh, I think that we saw part of that in the 08-09 financial crisis, because mm -hmm. the human race had developed algorithms to run various financial derivatives and and stock markets, et cetera, with their buy and sell limits. But once they switched that machine on, it moved at a speed that was beyond the comprehension and the control, I believe, of that of that um, of the the humans that were uh, supposedly in control of the system. So I suppose my question there, Janine, is, um, do you see that? Uh, leaving aside these frameworks and trying to move into a broader, deeper, more complex system that we will be able to succeed or will we fail because our brains just can't keep up? I think we will succeed if we keep having conversations like this, which challenge our, our thinking, which almost hurt our brains because we think it might not be possible. I think that's exactly how we grow. And that's why the inner development goals are going to accelerate the SDGs because inner development goals are about these kind of reflective conversations. You and I sitting here going, is that possible? Um, I don't know. And how do we do that? And we do that in two primary ways. One is in utter silence and in some kind of form of nature connection, which is where we go back to our inner selves and connecting to our environment to sort of go, okay, whew. And then the other way is to actually use these gifts of thought and speech to create conversations that even like one person could hear one sentence in this and it might accelerate and inspire them in a whole new direction that you and I can't even imagine. That's the power that humans have. So, yes, it is possible as long as we keep exploring and being vulnerable enough to say, I know my language sounds a little bit fluffy and I'm not quite being clear in it. I know it's a bit complex, but I'm willing to have this conversation because I believe in the value of where it can take us as a humanity. So you talk about inner development goals, Janine. Um, how did, how did, first of all, maybe you can explain for those people listening what, what you see as inner development goals and, and, and their importance. Um, but how do then they link to regenerative leadership, which is also part and parcel of what you um, you introduce people to and, and you give them the opportunity to develop 
um, this different way of thinking about leadership? Well, first of all, I'd say go to innerdevelopmentgoals.org because it's a really fabulous, very simple website that explains this with a short video and some very basic frameworks. And this was a, a process launched only in April 22. So this is quite new. But it's one of some of the world's leading coaches, you know, the experts in their field of personal development that have come together. And at the moment, they're in process. So at the moment, there's only four, uh, might be five goals. And the first one is... Um, being <laughs> you know and being is oh gosh can it even be described it's essentially about the relationship you have with yourself and then they have thinking which is the cognitive skills they have uh, the third one is relating which is caring for others in the world um, the fourth one is collaborating and the fifth one is acting and there will be more to come but by taking these as frameworks instead of the SDGs, which is like poverty, education, wealth, you know, there's 17 of them. It's taking this idea of the inner reflective process and the conversations, the human journey. So when we combine the human journey of, and this is where it relates to my mentoring, where um, sometimes it's just a conversation to shift an inner belief in yourself. Um, uh, it can be a values-based conversation. It can be a conversation around fear or scarcity or procrastination, a whole number of emotions that are actually there to serve us, not stop us, which is what we've been told in the past. They're there to sort of help us have inquiry. Mm -hmm. And in the process of inquiry, then we, when we come to something highly practical, like how should we build a website or, you know, um, how do I start an email newsletter or something really practical, um, there's a shift that happens and I, I describe it as two sides of a love heart. So if you can imagine one half of a love heart is inner development and the personal inquiry and the other half is practical. When you combine those together, you get a complete love heart and that's where we need to be is in our hearts, being driven from our hearts and connecting our hearts with our minds and our guts. And in that alignment process, which is what a coaching mentoring conversation does, you end up in a place that might not even be obvious, but you start to sort of know the next step or know what to do. Um, and this is what you feel is how you would describe rather regenerative leadership, uh, that people are using these sort of insights and techniques to actually sort of dig deep into themselves in order that they can then develop um a business or a, or a practice or whatever it may be and connect with others in this in the same way yeah absolutely and it takes time and we and you don't know how long it's going to take so i think of one client it's been two and a half years and there's huge breakthroughs going on now you know for some people it's three months because they might have been further along the journey and then they come to this but like you know one of the programs i run and, and next year i'm actually extending it to a full year i've often done it for just six months it's just not enough because humans need time for inquiry. So I've got a regenerative um, business incubator um, next year, starting in February. And it literally like relaxes you immediately to know that you've got a whole year to go through this process. Whereas when I was delivering things for like, you know, three months or six months, it kind of already felt like a bit of pressure that there was a little bit of time to explore in. So you need space. So the main thing about regeneration is it's a pathway. It's not a system that you can describe in one because it, it has many applications, many, many applications. But that what's in common is nature is fundamental. Nature is like in your boardroom, in your decision makings. 
um, there's self-reflective processes. So you understand where you're at in life and what your contribution is. And you go on a, on a journey and you don't know if it's going to be easy or hard or quick or slow or strong or fast, and but you begin. And within a guided process, you have your own experience. But it usually results in, in a practical way of, you know, like I think of some clients that have sharing economy business models or they have collaborative conversation models or, um, you know, they're in sustainability and they're kind of thinking they're not doing enough and they're just wondering how they involve stakeholders more, not just shareholders or, you know, there's the Better Business Act, which, um, you know, on a very, on a legal level is actually trying to fundamentally shift the requirement of companies to focus on profit. I mean, these to me are regenerative things along with agroforestry or permaculture. There's, there's lots of systems that you could describe as regenerative because it's a pathway. It's not one thing. And do you think that people who are going down that pathway um, with your help, um, do you see any of them coming under intense pressure by the conventional uh, environment of delivering profit? Uh, most of them. <laughs> that, that seems to be a tension. Yes, most of them. And that is a beautiful place to be because if you're willing to go into that tension and go, I need to, you know, depending whether you need to eat next week or in six months and, you know, you've got those kind of physical, practical requirements, um, obviously you need to navigate that with, you know, great curiosity but also great practicality. So it's about embracing it rather than going, okay, I can't do this anymore because I have to go focus on profit. And it's like, no, 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 let's, let's do it all together. And this is a complex, like, you know, a moment of change and it's not going to be easy, but we can do this. We can do this. So it's all of it. <laughs> so who who are these business owners or what are the businesses that, that you connect with these days in order to help people become uh, sort of regenerative, if I may use that, and it may not be the appropriate phrase, but uh, to become regenerative leaders, uh, to 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 have this insight that they can then use about themselves. Mm. Um, how, how do you sort of identify those leaders? Are they in all walks of life? Are they in all sectors? Um, or do you find them in particular opportunity spots of the economy? No, they're, they're definitely everywhere in every sector, every walk of life. Um, so I have clients working at like a, you know, no, I don't work direct with high corporates. I worked with consultants who work with high corporates, for example. So they're working, you know, at the top level of CEOs of our sort of in the big name companies. Um, but I am very passionate about sole traders because I feel like the whole regenerative conversation is happening at the corporate level, which is important. And I'm really glad for that. But I can see so many purpose-led business owners who tend to be sole traders or small teams or small companies, they're wanting to take this journey. So I'm interested in, I have created frameworks for those people, which are very, very simple ways that we can access this work. So right. all the thought leadership globally is happening at a corporate level. Mm -hmm. And I'm just trying to, I'm bridging that gap. So there's sole traders, there's um, well, you know, well on their way, good business people who just want to kind of want to pivot or think differently and then there's people at the corporate level, which is in some ways the hardest and takes the longest. As you know, that that machine takes longer to change. 
Yes, I mean, and naturally enough, because I mean, most corporates have been established, if I can use the word in the in the old paradigm, um, and they've got uh, large legacy assets, and uh, and they have to satisfy shareholders. And changing that is is a bit like sort of um, you know turning a big a big sort of ship in the ocean. So I I can I can get that that corporates will take longer, whereas. Uh, new companies, startups, SMEs are the disruptors. They're they're the ones that can be working in in new ways uh, with agility and uh, and and really lead the way. I, so I I I buy into that uh, very much, Janine. Um, yes. So you have um, and and again, if you go through Janine's link that I mentioned at the the beginning of the podcast. Um, you will come to uh, one of her other platforms uh, that are called that is called consciousbusinessplatform.com. Um, and there you have uh, quite a, a, a large array of uh, support mechanisms that you have for companies. And you've alluded to them a little bit, but can you expand on that and tell the listeners exactly what it is that you have on that platform and what it can do for them? Okay, so there's four key ways on that platform. So there's four links you'll find on the homepage. One of them will take you to me and the kind of private work we can do together, which is the deep reflective leadership work. Um, Secondly, there's nature's boardroom, one of my favourite things to do, which is to take people physically out into nature. And there's a few key places I like to take people to, but we can go anywhere that's special. And we do a bunch of reflective, intuitive processes on that day, but it results in... Um, a new strategic direction for that person or that business. That's really profound. Um, thirdly, I run a group, as I mentioned before, the um, it's called the Growth Experience and it's a regenerative business incubator and it's where sole traders or small teams will go on a journey for an entire year and we go through a number of frameworks and reflective processes to change and grow and you know um, often change direction of our businesses and our lives. <laughs> Um, so, and the final one is for sole traders, very, very accessible, um, at a very low cost. And, and we run those experiences by the seasons. So we go autumn, spring, summer, winter, and we're starting our winter season on the 6th of December. And that goes for three months. And so it just, a lot of people will repeat the process, but it just keeps it really accessible and affordable. Um, and that's an incredibly powerful, um, process, all of them, but I, so I, I I meet everyone where they're at, and we tend to find each other. The right people find each other. Thank you. Um, and finally, um, I know that you recently appeared on a TEDx talk, Janine, which must have been very exciting. What what exactly did you talk about when you appeared at TEDx? <laughs> well, the very first. 60 seconds of my TED talk explains <laughs> the answer to your question <laughs> because it I ended up talking about intuition but that talk happened two weeks before the event I'd been working on a different talk about regenerative leadership for three months and it really is an extraordinary story so even if you've only got time to listen to the first 60 seconds it's worth it um What's happened since then has been extraordinary. So TED will basically 
Doing a TEDx talk is an extraordinary experience. It basically focuses you on truly serving people and creating value-based conversations that will spread. That's the purpose of TED. And if you stay aligned to the process, you will end up doing that. Even if, like me, you end up changing your talk. (laughs) Um, Fascinatingly, of course, as I explained in the talk, it it, it all began to flow effortlessly from there. And I was very proud of what the final result was. What's amazing that has totally surprised me um, is that I have had out of 1.3K views in the last two weeks since it was launched, I've had 200 people of those people personally message me either on a variety of platforms from renewable energy companies to teenagers. And it's really blown me away the impact starting this conversation has had, which has proved to me that this desire to trust ourselves is sitting in everyone right now. And we're living in a time where that wants to come out. So conversations about intuition are, gosh, even five years ago, I think it would have been considered a bit weird. So it it was brave and I did it and I was proud of it and it's getting a great response. So thanks for asking about that. That's great. And we'll, we'll leave the teaser there for the listeners. So if you want to find out exactly what Janine's TEDx talk was all about, then go to her link which I'll just repeat repeat now, which is um, L-I-N-K-T-R, all lowercase dot E-E, lowercase forward slash Janine Barron, J-A-N-N-I-N-E-B-A-R-R-O-N. And if you go onto that link, uh, you'll find her TEDx talk link and all will be revealed and <laughs> and you'll have a great time. Yes. You could also Google search Janine Barron TEDx Talk Intuition and it will probably come up if you don't want to remember the link. But I'm sure you'll publish that link on the podcast notes, won't you, Bill? We'll, we'll, we'll make sure the link is um, is on our podcast uh, page um, when we uh, when we publish it um, uh, this week. So thank you, Janine, for sharing your company with us today. It's it's tr- a truly sustainable business. Um in, in whatever definition of the word, because it, whichever way you look at it, um, you've you've covered most of the bases, certainly that I can think of. Thanks. Well, thank you for igniting this very important conversation. And I hope it sparks inspiration for the people who need to hear what we've been saying today. Thank you, Bill. I hope so, too. So thanks to you, the audience, for joining us today. Uh, we will be bringing you more podcasts in the coming months. Uh, In the meantime, please visit our website. So it's World Sustainability Collective, all one word, lowercase, dot com, to follow our activities and tune in to our Purpose Planet podcasts. Goodbye. Mm -hmm.